Welcome to the Skiff Podcast, weekly conversations on global travel trend lines. I'm Alexandra Petrie, and here with me today is co-founder and head of content, Jason Clampett. We're also joined by Dennis Crowley, founder and executive chairman of Foursquare, and Sarah Spagnolo, editor-at-large of Foursquare. Crowley has been at the forefront of mobile and local discovery since emerging technologies like the iPhone in 2007 created seismic shift in how people explore the world. Since Foursquare's founding in 2009, the company has evolved into two separate products, Foursquare and Swarm, the latter devoted to its traditional check-ins and connecting with friends, whereas the former, similar to Yelp and Google Maps, is an app and service that functions as a de facto travel guide. Foursquare introduces users to local and unique experiences, both in their own backyards and in far-flung corners of the globe. Gone are the days of fold-out maps and paperback guidebooks meant to help travelers navigate new terrain. Today, it's all about mobile apps, which in a highly digitized environment are valuable tools not just for consumers to understand and explore, but for businesses to better understand consumer habits and trends. Dennis, thank you for joining us. Sarah, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having us on the show. Excited Great to be, to be here. here. Uh, you know, Foursquare had its roots in dodgeball. Um, and you can correct me for this, but, you know, the SMS location sharing uh, site that you then sold to Google, your career's kind of been entirely about about local discovery. Kind of what what was missing when you started with, with Dodgeball and the evolution since then over the last 10 or so years? Yeah, so, you know, the, the purpose of Dodgeball initially was about taking um, a whole group of us, and by that I mean like 10 or 15 people that didn't have jobs at the time, because we all got laid off around like 2000, 2001, and building a piece of software that enabled us to broadcast our location so we could meet up with each other during the day. Hey, I'm at Central Park. Hey, I'm at Bleecker Street Bar. Like, just come meet me. I don't have a job. I have nothing to do. Um, and, you know, that, that turned into like a really interesting, um, I think like, you know, just an example of what was going to happen with mobile and social and location software all coming together to, you know, help, you know, help make software that made cities easier to use. And that like, you know, we built a lot of this stuff while we were at um, NYU at the ITP program. And, you know, the thesis I was behind, like, behind a lot of this was let's make software that makes cities easier to use. And then, you know, when we were at Google, after we had sold Dodgeball to Google, you know, we... Um, you know, we had we had a bunch of people using it, and I think we launched. We were probably in twenty different cities. But what started becoming interesting was looking at all the data that we were getting. So I could, you know, um, I could go into the database and run a query that said something like, um, "Show me all the places that people check in in the East Village on a, you know, on Saturday and Sunday between eleven a.m. and two p.m. Uh, and then, you know." Uh, rank them by popularity, remove the ones that I've already been to, and then it's a list of all the brunch places that I should go to. And uh, the only one that had access to that tool was me because I had access to the database. And our thinking was, you know, we should we should be able to turn this all this signal about like who is going where and how many times they go there and do they go there often and do they go back and do they go with their friends. We should be able to turn all that signal into this like living, breathing map of the world. That's just constantly telling you where you should go next. And um, 
You know, we tried to build that at Google. We just couldn't get it done. And so we left. And a year later, that's when we started Foursquare. Can you talk a bit about how discovery, when you looked at the competitive um, landscape at the time, how local discovery was done in 2000, 2002, um, versus how it's done now, what the set looks like? Um, 2000, 2002 is tough. Let me talk about like 2005, which is when we were at, at Google, because things were a lot more mature then. Uh, there wasn't a hell of a lot going on. I mean, Google Maps just came out. Um, and this, remember, this is the first time you could drag a map in a browser and people's minds were blown. Um, there was a tool called Doppler that was out at the time, um, that they eventually, you know, started by a couple friends of mine. They eventually sold it to, um, to Nokia, I believe. And Doppler was, what city are you going to be in, um, you know, two weeks from now or three months from now? And it would basically, you know, it was like dodgeball, but one level higher on like, where are you going to be in what city in the future? Uh, so you could like you know plan rendezvous with friends, but there wasn't you know there wasn't this idea of a crowdsourced city guide. There wasn't this idea of a crowdsourced map. You know, even when we were doing dodgeball, two thousand three, two thousand four, the idea that regular people would write the reviews for places was kind of crazy. You know, like well you know you could write them in Zagat and then Zagat would clean them up and publish a book for you to buy. But like just letting people write their raw, unfiltered thoughts into a website for everyone to see, that was kind of nutty back then. Um, but our whole thing was like, we're only two people. We want to do this map of, at the time it was like a map of New York and a map of the, you know, the top cities in the U.S. We don't have any staff. Let's just let the, you know, let's build tools so the community can go out and just tell us what's great and tell us what places they're finding and tell us what's great about those places and tell their friends what's great. And like, you know, now in hindsight, that's obvious. Now that like, you know, Wikipedia and Waze and all these other things that are crowdsourced guides of the of the world exist. But um, you know, at the time, it was kind of controversial. I've, I I very much remember a time having worked in um, luxury travel publishing for many years, where um, the shift became from the expert offering advice to the people offering advice, and the buzzword of authentic rose and became uh, such a focus for the travel publishing industry. Um, you know that was also around exactly that same time, and so it was happening from the bottom up, and also from this luxury standpoint, and that uh, the entire travel community was really gravitating towards the local perspective. And so what you experienced and what I experienced on different sides really came together and, uh, and, and definitely helped to make the, the regular person's opinion matter so much more. Those are definitely still two big buzzwords in travel, local and authentic, um, especially with millennials. But I guess what is the, what's the danger in something like that in this user-generated content in a way that it can, rather than benefit, but harm online travel? Well, the, I mean, the tricky thing with user-generated content is like there tends to be a lot of it, um, <clears throat> and so you know as soon as you start asking people for feedback, you might just get a ton of feedback, and you have to do some science on it to figure out what's the best stuff. How does the best stuff get bumped to the top? Um, you know, how do you take the stuff? How do you take the trolls out of the equation? You know, if you think, um, you know, use use Facebook and the newsfeed as an analogy. You know, the, the Facebook newsfeed used to just be chronological. Anything that went in there went to the top. Um, and then it just was, there was too much stuff. And they had to start finding new ways to, you know, re-rank it and sort it and filter things out. And, you know, that's the true of any, that's true of anyone or any company that's dealing with a ton of user-generated content. 
Um, otherwise, you know, the best stuff sometimes gets lost at the bottom. You got to find algorithmic ways to identify the best content and drag it to the top. So it's a very tricky engineering problem. But I think if you ask a business owner to describe the difference between Foursquare feedback and Yelp feedback, they'd say that Foursquare users are nicer. Um, and you know, it's not a place that people go to rant. It's yeah. a place that I think people feel a sense of participation. Uh, you know, how did you how did you drive it so that UGC that you guys got is stuff that's really helpful? Yeah, I mean that was that was intentional, right? Um, so if you go back to the early days of Foursquare, two thousand, you know, two thousand eight, we launched in two thousand nine, but like even when we were just building the stuff, um, they're not called reviews; they're called tips. You know, it's like it's this is go here and do this thing. You know, the very first version of four, of what turned into Foursquare. Um, was a you know, prototype that I built for a trip that I went on to in, um, through Sweden and like Scandinavia. And, you know, it was a way for people to say, Hey, oh, Dennis, you're going to Copenhagen. You know, you should go to this place and do this thing. It was not write a review of every place you've been to. It's like, these are the things that are worth going out and going out of your way to find. And I think just naturally it skewed positive. And, you know, the culture of the site from 2009 was started as like a positive thing. Like you don't leave tips about things you don't like. You leave tips about awesome things. And if you don't have anything nice to say, you don't say anything nice at all. You don't say anything at all, you know? And so we just, I think it, you know, now if you dig through it, you'll find some negative stuff in there, but it's overwhelmingly positive. And I think that's one of like the, the great things about the, you know, the brand and the product and just like the vibe and the community in general. And I guess in terms of trip planning, apps or trip tips um why do you think so many apps that aim to do that in today's environment fail what are some of the things that go wrong uh i give an example do you have an example of one of them or uh, all of them uh, no. uh, all of them <laughs> no you know we, we we see a lot of startups and, and i've worked yeah travel i was at, i was at fromers before and you know all these competitors have different ideas for um uh local discovery except they run into frequency problem or uh, they run into other issues. And so only a few, I'd say, you know, Foursquare and Swarm uh, and, um, and, you know, uh, Google Maps and even Yelp have kind of yeah. survived to be a kind of an active part of traveler's life. Yeah. I mean, we, Sarah and I were talking about this a little bit on the, on the subway right up. Um, you know, I think it's a, there's like a, a joke with tech stuff where everyone thinks they're a product person. Um, but product is really hard, you know, finding product market fit, building something that millions of people can use. You know, I think it's kind of the same way, especially even more so for like travel products. Like everyone has an opinion of like a, a travel product that should be, that should be built or like, you know, features that should exist in Foursquare. And it's funny because the user community always speaks up and like, this is the thing you need to build. Like, I can't believe the app doesn't have this. And it, a lot of it's very, very great feedback. The thing is like, it's really hard to make one of these things that just like, can exist as a standalone app or a standalone business. I mean, a lot of us are traveling, you know, if you're lucky, you take one vacation a year and, you know, so you would use this product once a year and then maybe next year when you take your next vacation, you use the same product again. Um, but a lot of the most successful things are things that are used every single day, you know, like the Snapchats and the Instagram and the Facebooks. And I think it's really difficult for, you know, uh, uh, something that's just meant for travel, um, you know, to, to really become a viable business that can stick around for a long time, at least like for a small startup company. Um, you know, with Foursquare, it's funny because, pe you know, sometimes people have a hard time 
putting it, is, is it a local guide or is it a travel app? And, you know, my opinion is like, it, it doesn't have to be either of those. It can be whatever you want it to be. It works just as well in the New York neighborhood that I've lived for 15 years as it, as it does when I go to, you know, Tokyo for the very first time. You know, the goal is, you know, the goal of Foursquare is like build a piece of software that helps people find the, the best, most interesting stuff for that particular user, like wherever they are, whether it's like, you know, I'm, I'm in Midtown Manhattan. I'm never in Midtown. Foursquare, wake up and tell me something awesome around here. Um, you know, and I should have that exact same experience if I go to Barcelona or, you know, someplace, you know, some exotic island somewhere. Um, Sarah, coming from the, the luxury travel space, and I believe print, is, you know, was your main background. Yeah. What are some of the things you've learned since entering the digital space in terms of advice and tips and what travelers want and how those needs are changing? Oh, I've learned so much. Uh, the industries are so vastly different. But what I think is most interesting, and, and Dennis touched on that, but what we've been talking about and what he's been referring to specifically is Foursquare, the app. But it's been really fascinating to learn more about Foursquare, the business, and that the many um, important layers and components that are part of what we do that allow us to be successful. And... Um, you know, we just launched this Trip Tips product this week, actually, and um, what that does is it allows people to create an itinerary and then ask their friends for their contributions, so that when somebody's planning a trip, their recommendations aren't in disparate locations and organized and hard to maintain and see on a map. Um, that's a small product, and to say, to reiterate what Dennis was saying, it's something that maybe somebody would use twice or three times a year if they're planning something more adventurous. Uh, however, you know, we're able to play around with these new technologies and Dennis is really leading that and that's because we have both apps as well as these other advertising and enterprise businesses that we can stand on. And so altogether, it's this unique e ecosystem that allows us to experiment and be really innovative. And, um, you know, traditional print publishing is exciting and it was a wonderful place to learn travel chops and to explore the world and I'm so thankful for it. But um, when you look at the, the business models, you can see how working in technology where there's just so much opportunity can be so exciting. Speak to that for a minute. You know, you guys are sitting on a big pile of really good data, you know, places that people have chosen to go to and check in and like put their stake in it and you know where people are fighting to be mayors and things like that um how do you how do you monetize that who who wants who wants a chunk of that data you know um how do, how do you best take advantage of all of that both for your own products and for other people who want to build on top of it yeah it's um there's a lot of interesting stuff going on here um and a couple things is like you know since the beginning you know we, we had to have the check-in in the beginning of in the beginning of time, the beginning of Foursquare, because there was no other technology that could just understand where phones were going um, without you saying, I'm, I'm at the library right now or I'm at this bar right now. Um, you know, since then, you know, since 2009, you know, we've, we've built all this amazing technology of Foursquare, including this thing we call Pilgrim, which is a piece of software that runs inside the Foursquare app, inside the Swarm app. And, you know, no matter where you take your phone, it just knows what building it's inside of. It knows if it's inside of a gap and it knows when it leaves and it knows if it goes inside of a J crew and it knows if it goes inside of a, you know, an Italian restaurant or it knows inside of, it goes inside of a gym. Like it all, it all kind of happens in the background. Um, and that's how, you know, Foursquare starts to learn about who you are and what you like to do and the places that you take your phone. And that's how, you know, our recommendation engines get smarter. So it's, it's a little bit from check-ins and it's a little bit from, um, you know, people just walking around with the software running. 
Um, but the end effect of that is that, you know, we're starting to get a real good glimpse of just how phones move through the real world. Um, and like, where do they go and where do they stop and where do they never go again and where do they, you know, go back to, uh, quite often. Um, and it allows us to do really interesting things. Like, one, you know, we've been starting to think about, um, you know, sometimes internally we think of it as like, we're kind of doing like what Nielsen does, but doing it for the real world and doing it for, for physical places. So like a real interesting use of this was something we did around the time that the new iPhone, uh, came out. The iPhone was the six success, success, right? Yeah. Um, and we made a prediction. We said, okay, we're going to watch the number of phones that move in and out of Apple stores leading up to the launch. And then during that opening weekend, and based off that, we're going to come out with a prediction that says how many phones to be sold. And, and, um, if, you know, people are like, that's crazy. You can't do that. And we, we made a prediction. We, you know, we were one of the only folks that actually, you know, I can't remember what the actual number is, but we, we just it 12 nailed to 14 it. Million. 12 to 14 million. And we yeah. were looking also interestingly about other launch weekends. So we were comparing the uptick in traffic in the lead up to mm-hmm. the launch versus other weekends and sort of using those algorithms we were able to correctly predict. So, yeah, so we came out of nowhere. We correctly predict it based upon, you know, all the phones that we know about that are moving in and out of different places in the world and specifically Apple stores. And after that, we started getting calls from companies being like, what, you know, what, what data do you have that we don't have any access to? How are you able to do this? And it's like, well, this is the company that we built. And now, I mean, that was, this is the stuff we've been working on for the last year or so, but building all of these data and business and enterprise products, <clears throat> basically analytics for the real world that help marketers and brands and advertisers figure out, you know, how to identify and measure and, and reach people depending on where their phones go. So, I mean, like the way that we always talk about it as a company is like, you know, we have these two consumer apps, Foursquare and Swarm. They're at the foundation of every single thing that we do as a company. But in addition to, you know, providing awesome consumer experiences, they generate lots of data. And then what we've done over the last couple of years is we found all these really lucrative ways to monetize that data. You know, on, on the flip side, I kind of think of it as like the opposite of the check-in, the, the beacon technology, like a lot of hotels and airports are pushing it. So you go into the airport and they're like, hey, do you want to get, you know, duty-free? You get two boxes of Marlboro Reds for the price of one or whatever. How do you, in terms of the consumer kind of reaction to that, you know, as opposed to making making conscious effort to downscore, download Foursquare or, or, or Swarm and participate in it and then getting bombarded with things. Like, what do you think the, the kind of consumer response is to something like that? Um, you know, like I've been doing location stuff for a long time and since 2000, like the the dream was always every time you walk by a Starbucks, you'll get pinged with a coupon for a latte and... You know, it turns out you could actually make something that did that in like 2005, but no one dared turn it on because people would just delete your app immediately. No one wants that. Otherwise, you'd be walking through the mall and you'd get pinged every five steps. Um, you know, so the, uh, you know, the ability to do that stuff exists, but like it just, no one's really mastered the art of hitting people with the right message at the right time. Um, and that's a lot of the stuff that we, we focus on. Um, but we're not sending, you know, hey, you should save $5 off a, you know, off your next pair of shoes here. Um, instead, what we're doing is we're pushing out messages to people that say, hey, your phone's in an area that has never been in before, have never been in this neighborhood. Uh, did you know that your buddy Alex thinks that the Mexican place two blocks away is the best taco he's ever had? You should go check it out. Like that feels really valuable to someone. 
as opposed to like I'm just getting coupons everywhere I walk. Right? Here's a Slurpee for 15 cents off. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because I mean, a lot, a lot of times the coupons aren't that interesting either. I mean, that you know, maybe that is the reality in the in the future, but we're certainly not not there yet. And that's not what their products are all about. So there's a, several different products, and I don't think we're going to get into the details here, but Place Insights is what Dennis was talking about in terms of understanding how people move through the world and sharing that in the aggregate anonymous data with companies, hedge funds, et cetera. There's also a programmatic ad tech platform, but nothing is um, is sending people coupons or, or or speaking to them in a way that's intrusive or that makes people feel uncomfortable. Yeah, well, if you, if you build stuff like that, people don't want it. And if you build something that people don't want, they delete your app. And if they delete your app, then that's it. It's game over for you. And so, you know, there's, there's all this stuff that we want to do and all this stuff we find really interesting, but we're, we're super, super careful and very thoughtful about the types of messages we send, the copy that we use, the cadence that we send them, because the last thing you want is for someone to, to turn that stuff off or even delete your app. Yeah, it's that community that has helped us map 65 million places around the globe. That's how we understand what places look like and what shapes look like so people can move around. And so those people are highly valuable for those reasons and more. You know, one thing I can talk about, which I think is fascinating from my perspective, is how we're able to use the data to uncover trends that for me is really fascinating and as an is a great part of my job, which is that because we can see where people go, whether it's a surge in Italian restaurants or an emphasis on matcha cafes, or it's a growth of um, bubble tea shops, like we can really surface that data too. And because we're seeing what places open, what neighborhoods are going to, what places are emerging, there's all sorts of fascinating travel trends that surfaces as well. So uh, you can think of that trove of data as being valuable to advertisers and marketers and analysts, but you can also think about what it tells you about how people are eating and drinking and what they're doing. And uh, for me, where you know I used to be working with a staple of freelance writers who would uncover those trends for us and help point us to the right direction, I love that I can look to this amazing community and they, through their actions, through, through moving around and through writing tips and sharing photos, can also surface unusual trends that might go unnoticed. What, what are some of the trends that you've noticed recently? Uh, we did this whole big uh, year-end wrap-up where we talked about how we saw a surge in Latin American tastes. So we saw people going to more Cuban restaurants, Caribbean restaurants, and Peruvian restaurants. Makes sense, of course, because of the interest in that, in that part of the world. We also saw a surge in matcha, which I talked about already. We talked about um, the demise of the food, well, not the demise, maybe that's a little bit strong, but the lack of interest perhaps in food trucks and the rise in poke. So you can see a lot of those food trucks. Poke, oh, poke, it's a Hawaiian um, cut like raw fish snack. It's sort of like ceviche, but Hawaiian in flavor. Nice. Yeah, actually, it's it's kind of becoming like this fast casual food thing. It's eaten in a bowl, you know, like a like a to-go bowls, like a little bite of like ceviche. Yeah, mainly just fish and vegetables cut up. It's like a Hawaiian treat. So you're announcing the death of the food truck? I'm not <laughs> announcing the death. That's perhaps a little strong. But I think anecdotally, if you thought about it, you would see that like, you know, food trucks are not as hot as they once were. And there are other food trends that people are more excited about. Well, fast casual is one of the trends that we kind of looked at in our Megatrends magazine for 2016, the rise of fast, ca fast casual design and food in, in hospitality, in hospitality well. yeah. was a part of that. 
Um, we were also able to see some interesting things about beaches that were unexpectedly more popular this year than last year, some of which were because um, there was a beach in San Diego that has this amazing arch and these incredible sunsets. And of course, with social media, it's becoming more and more popular because more people are seeing these awesome photos from there. So like, you can see how different places, food trends um, really change the way that people move through the world. The data is like, you know, it's like we have this like crystal ball that lets us see like the way that people around the world are moving and highlight different trends and stuff. It's really kind of magical stuff. And it's like, you know, it's a technology and a data set that just hasn't existed before. And so, you know, for us, like the, the big challenge and opportunity and the reason the job is really fun, it's like, okay, we've got this technology that no one else has ever had in the history of technology. We've got this data set that's never existed in the history of doing this stuff. Like, what are the things that we can invent that no other company can invent that, like, will change the way that people go out and experience, you know, either their backyards or this vacation that they're going to take or some city that they're visiting for the weekend? And, like, and that's awesome. Well, to speak to that idea of, of what's the next thing that you can invent, our, you know, the larger question of what's next for you and with Foursquare and with Swarm and, you know, in this space in general. <clears throat> yeah, there's, um, you know, it's like there's... <sighs> Like we're literally just like inventing the future with every with every quarter, you know, and every like you know, a couple, you know, as every month passes, like we're making stuff that didn't exist before. Um, you know, we're Foursquare is like seven years in at this point, um, and so like Foursquare and Swarmer, they're very mature products. They have very strong user bases. Like it's very predictable in terms of how people use it and how they grow, which is great. Uh, the business products we've built are performing very well, like predictable and scalable. Like we're in a good spot. And so, you know, part of um, my, my job these days is let's invent the stuff that like no other company is going to invent. And so, you know, I think a lot about, um, you know, there's this big trend around like chatbots and artificial intel intelligence. And you know, to be honest, like one of the reasons that we started Foursquare to begin with, and one of the big ideas is like, it should be a piece of software that lives in your pocket. And it knows all the places that you've been to. It's read every episode of, you know, Time Out in New York and New York Magazine. It knows where all your friends go all the time. It does this for every city in the world. And wherever you happen to walk in the world, this thing has always got something to tell you about what you should do next. The best thing on this walk is this. The best thing in this neighborhood is this. You're in Tokyo. These are the five places you need to experience before you get out of here. Um, and that piece of software should talk to you. You should talk back to it and it should learn from you. And it should constantly giving you like really strong ideas and opinions on places to go. Um, you know, have you ever seen that movie with um, Scarlett Johansson and, and um, the voice of Scarlett Johansson? Yeah, Scarlett, what's the other guy's name? Joaquin Phoenix, right? Uh, her. And it's like a, a little AI bot. And uh, that's science fiction. That'll be 20 years from now. Who knows? 10 years, whatever. But like, you know, can we make a small little version of that, like a V1 of that, that just knows about all the awesome places and is constantly telling you what to do and is constantly, you know, giving you these awesome ideas and insights and pushing you to go to these really interesting spots. Like that's a cool piece of software. Someone's got to make that. And like, that's, that's what we get to do. That's like, that's my job and our team's job to do that. Well, thank you for your time today, both of you for yeah. joining us. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, Dennis. I'm going to go check in somewhere. That's, yeah. yeah. Thanks. Thanks for all the check-ins. <laughs> <laughs>